Hey guys, it's Naylor. If you wanted another way to show your support for the LCR Media Podcast, I put together some merch just for the LCR Media Podcast. It's exclusive hoodies, stickers, and some other merchandise that you can check out in the show notes. You can also go on the YouTube channel at LCR and see the visuals underneath any video that you play. You can see exactly what this merchandise looks like. So go ahead and check that out if you want us to show support for the show. I definitely appreciate you listening, leaving those five-star rating reviews, and additionally, maybe picking up some gear. Thanks, guys. Here we go. Thanks for listening to the LCR Media Podcast, where we get to know the pros. I'm your host, LCR, Naylor Taliaferro. And on today's episode, we're going to be focusing on a conversation that I had with none other than the lawn care millionaire, Jonathan Potoshnik himself. Uh, we're talking about labor um, everything, basically the challenges with labor, some solutions to the labor problems that are out there. Now, obviously, this is something that um, as our uh, our industry as a whole struggles with just you know, working outside the physical labor, you know, year round in, in a lot of cases, it's definitely not for everyone. So there's there's usually going to be those ups and downs with labor, um, trying to find good help and keep good help no matter what. But specifically now going into you know, recording this, it's in 2021, the summer of 2021, and things are seemingly a lot more challenging. There's a huge demand in services for industry, but a huge deficit uh, in in supply, in time and labor and resources and so on. So there's just a ton of work out there for all of us to be able to get. But unfortunately, we just can't all do it because if we don't have enough help, uh, we, there's just only so many hours of daylight in the day. Uh, so it's definitely more relevant now uh, talking about labor problems and shortages than, than ever before, to be honest. Uh, but this is a conversation that I had with Jonathan uh, a couple of years back. I, I've had the privilege to travel to Texas a few times. And every time I get out there, I try to make sure that I can meet up with Jonathan and pick his brain, film some content. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jonathan, he is, like I said, the lawn care millionaire on YouTube. He's got a great channel full of education and knowledge. He's always pouring out great tips and information on how to build a million dollar lawn care business. But even if that's not your goal and you just are a solo you know, guy or girl out there, there's still a lot of great knowledge and tips just as myself what uh, was learning early on, you know, many years ago when I was uh, still solo and building my business, there's still lots of great knowledge and wisdom that he shares on his channel. So go ahead and check that out on YouTube at the lawn care millionaire. If you want to see what I'm talking about and, and listen to all the knowledge he's got going on there. But in addition to that, he also, uh, created Service Autopilot, own Service Autopilot, which is a CRM software uh, for invoicing, estimating, scheduling, you know, your, your jobs, your routes, all that, everything, everything that has to do with basically running your business from a customer service standpoint, uh, from a software standpoint, so that you don't have to do everything manually. And it's all just generated in there. Um, you know, it, it links to QuickBooks as well so that you can uh, have all of your, you know, all, all of your invoicing and all of your reports and everything can be synced on there for your bookkeeping and, and uh, your accounting and uh, taxes and all that. So it, he, he does he does that. But before he did that, 
he also ran City Turf. He created City Turf, uh, which was which is now currently a, a huge company, a lawn lawn maintenance company in Texas in the area that he's in, and it just dominates. I think he said he's got like over eight thousand accounts, and in the last few years, I think maybe five years. Uh, the recording of this, he hasn't even stepped foot in the office there and kind of handed it off to um, who's the CEO of the company now. And he's just kind of in the background, like at a super high level, because this is a, a multi, multi-million dollar lawn maintenance company in Texas. Um, and he, you know, so he he's really kind of detached from it unless he really has to be a part of something, you know, big or crazy that's going on or some sort of really big financial um, decisions and, and things like that. But the day-to-day operations, he's not a part of anymore, but he can still speak to it very clearly because he's spent so many years in that business and building that business and finding a team and building a team around him to continue building that business. So he's got a lot of experience with labor, a lot of experience with just the business, business as a whole. So uh, one of the times that I visited him. We sat down and made a two-part video on YouTube talking about the labor shortages and labor problems and his perspective on that and me sharing some of mine as well. Uh, And this is basically what we're going to listen to. I kind of put all that together so that we can listen to the great conversation that I had with Jonathan Batoshnik, the lawn care millionaire. So go ahead and, and enjoy. So I just wanted to kind of pick your brain and have you share with everybody uh, some some words of wisdom and, and experiences that you've had. Um, starting with, I remember one of the main things that seemed like that changed your lawn care business was a particular employee that you found uh, somehow, some way, and yeah. changed the game for you. If you wanted to kind of yeah. elaborate on that, yeah. So this is this is rewinding way back to the early days of City Turf, and. There was this one, and I guess let me set up the story, and we had at the time maybe 12 or 13 people on the team. And I used to be a partner in this cleaning company, and one day I was out back at that cleaning company. It was just kind of an office building with some warehousing in the back, and I was standing outside. For whatever reason, my truck was out there, and I was out back behind the building, and there was this guy walking down the street, and he he actually walked up to me at the back of the building. You From where we were at, you could sort of see the sidewalk, and he was asking if we had any work. And I'm like, well, what, what do you do? And he said, oh, I paint homes or paint businesses. And I was like, well, no, I'm a, we're a cleaning company. And then we also, I also have this lawn care company. He's like, oh, well, I've, I was in the, I've been in lawn care for, I think it was like 10 or 12 years. The guy's name was Elder. And he was from Guatemala. And he had been working in the U.S. 10 or 12 years. And so I said, yeah, actually, I'm looking for someone. And I literally said, can you work this? If I remember correctly, it's like, can you work this Saturday? <laughs> and so um, Elder hopped on a crew. And again, I had, let's call it 12 team members at the time. And I had a few team members that I really liked and others that, you know, I felt like we were doing an okay job. And I don't remember the exact numbers now, but it was something that's like we were doing 20 or 25 jobs a day residential. So we were mowing some, we had commercial and we had residential. I ended up using Elder on both, but the, the thing that was sort of eye-opening to me as I put him on this one crew with actually one of my favorite people on our team, his name was Mark. And, uh, and Mark and Elder and another guy worked on that crew in the coming weeks. And they were doing, a, at the beginning of the week, we would do commercial. And at the end of the week, we'd do residential. 
And we went from doing 20, 25 jobs a day to 30 something jobs a day. Nothing changed except we put Elder on the crew, nothing. And then at our commercial jobs, everything went faster. Everything was faster in general and, and our teams worked longer. So they worked more hours per day and they also got more done, not just because they were working more hours, but because they were moving much more quickly. And that was sort of a huh kind of moment. Like, wait a second, this is interesting. I've, I've been at this business now a couple years and this is now a dramatic change. And that was the realization that, um, the beginning of the realization that, okay, there's, there's good workers and then there's people that really know what they're doing. And up until that point, I had never found people that really know what they're doing. They definitely knew the skill. They got out there and they did the work. They were nice guys. But Elder quickly got frustrated with the team and I told him, just go find some guys. Just go get some guys that you like. And so he recruited this guy named Andres, and uh, who was also from Guatemala. And Andres was now on the truck with Elder and then one other individual. And it just was crazy. It was life-changing. And so what I ended up doing is eventually letting Elder help me recruit other people. And, if, and then I also made a change that if Elder didn't feel that that person was working out, I would get rid of them for elder. And that spread to getting another crew leader that was good. And then I'd let that crew leader kind of figure out who they wanted on the team. And, it, and ultimately what ended up happening is I let almost every other team member that we previously had go and rebuilt my entire team. Around elder. Around, yeah, what I had Around learned like, from elder. Yeah, and elder helping me find additional people. And then eventually we started using the H2B visa labor market as well and we just started so that was yet another like oh my these are this is another if you go recruit the right individuals is another level of talent now there's challenges with all of that none of it is a you know none of it solves all the problems right. but it was so dramatic it's like oh wait a second i could actually build a good business here previously i just i hated the business i hated everything about it i didn't even know why i was in the business and that was not the only thing we've talked about before. Right. The labor was just one piece. Right. But I started figuring out who the right clients were, what the, the right everything, the right way to market, the right all these things. And all of that combined is what sort of woke me up and said, wait a second, I think I can build something really interesting here. It's worth the time and money. Yeah. But and I think ultimately, even if you did everything else right and get all this work lined up, you'd still be banging your head on the wall not oh. being able to get it all done because you didn't have the right people. That's the core. Until elder, right. yeah. yeah. So it's like that was like the missing piece yeah. if, if that was even the timing of it but I'm just saying like that it was that the missing been, it yeah. was the thing because I was sort of at a place where I had the was partner in the cleaning company I was doing my tech consulting I used to do a lot of pro, contract programming uh, I had enough stuff going that I was making a, a living on those other things I didn't need this lawn care thing at all mm -hmm. and uh, but I once I the labor thing was sort of that wake wake up moment where I was like wait a second this could actually be a good business. Mm -hmm. Previous to that, I just wanted out. Yeah. I was like, why in the world was I in it? So I would say that was probably one of the most important catalysts. The other one, I won't go into the story, was a, a partner of mine in the cleaning company saying, well, if you don't like the business or don't like the way it is, you don't have to do it. And that resulted in a reinvention of the business where I just got rid of the clients and the equipment, the team mm -hmm. members that yeah. I didn't like and just did the part I liked. And that's that was the other big moments, like aha moments, like, okay, wait, if you built the business the way you want to build the business and not the way everybody else builds a business in the mm -hmm. green industry, this could actually be really profitable and this could be really interesting. 
what what were some of the things like what was it that you changed that you liked? Like you said, you you focused on doing what you what you actually like and got rid of the stuff. You, we talked about employees. What was some other key things? Are you talking about like niching your business into certain that services? Was one, or? Yeah, that would be one. So initially, when we started, I had experience in commercial, so I started out as commercial, and while I was doing the commercial, just because I, I really was studying marketing, I started really thinking more and more about who is the best client, who is the, who's not, who's the one, who's the most profitable book client, but two, who is the best client to work with? The commercial game where they just beat you down every year and you have to renegotiate contracts is a fine, I will still like commercial. I'm not negative on commercial, but I just thought, you know, to have to go out to bid every year and have to get, and then they get multiple bids to double check the price. As, contrast that to a homeowner who will probably price shop you on the first job, but isn't gonna price shop you for all the add-on things that they're gonna buy from you. It doesn't mean you gouge them or rip them off or anything of that sort, but you can actually price things in a way that you can deliver a high level of quality service and afford the best team members and afford to deliver a great product. Those things were very interesting to me. And I just thought, I think there might be more profit in that market than commercial. And so that was sort of a light bulb moment. And what was going on is I was doing big commercial. Uh, big to me is you're at one property all day. I was doing small commercial, you know, my pay 3,500 to 5,000 bucks a year. I was doing small residential, I was doing three acre residential. I was driving from one side of town all the way to the other side of the Dallas market, which is a massive market. And those things all sucked. Combine that with, um, you know, we were doing all services. So now I've got to have equipment for all the different services. Some of those services don't actually make you very much money because you're only doing $10,000 a year of variation as an example. There's no money in $10,000 a year variation. It's just a distraction. And so the example of doing what I want was saying, who is the very best client in the market who we most like working with, who will buy more from us, who can afford to pay, that we can build a lot of density and so asking a lot of questions of what would be the ideal business? What services should we not be in? What are the best services to be in? And crafting a business around those questions. That's what we did. Mm. And, and it was a game changer. And you probably had a lot of people along that process that like, I think the hardest thing for people is to, to tell people no to tell people, you know, like, oh, we don't offer this service right now. Or, and they're like, okay, well, who do you recommend? And yeah. there's a lot of back and forth with that. And you feel like you're losing out on business and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But clearly it was successful for, for you. Yeah. I mean, but what is, do you have any other tips for how you navigated that? I'm sure you've had, had that a lot. It right? was, yeah, people it was. to do stuff that you didn't do. And you're yeah. like, no, no, we don't do that. So I, and I'm definitely wired to be someone that I I'm, I would describe myself as a very loyal person, and I'm definitely wired to help people. I empathize. This is the kind of company we've tried to build here at Service Alpha. I look for people that have empathy, that care about our members. I'm just wired that way. So I don't like if you've got a problem, I want to help you solve it. If I've got a client that's sort of in a jam, and I want to help them, I just that's how I am. The thing I've learned: if I got a team member that's struggling, I want to help the team member. The thing I've come to conclude is you can do that to a point. You can do all those things to a point, but there's also a point where you have to say what's right for the organization because when you're not making the right decision for the organization, I'll give a couple examples, but when you're not making the right decision for the organization, you're hurting you, you're hurting your family. Usually our families get sacrificed in this stuff. It's like if you make one more promise to a client that means you don't get home till eight o'clock tonight, 
who just got screwed in that deal. Right. Your wife, like your kids, that. that's who got screwed. I've done that a million times. Still do it. You know, we still, we still yeah. overpromise. We do stuff, do it all the time. But who's getting hurt here? Some, some person, a client that maybe is a one-time client that has zero loyalty essentially to your company that you've now rearranged your whole schedule that's messing with everybody else so that you'll probably make a few dollars in profit. It's like, why? And so sometimes you just have to sort of say, this is not right for the organization. The other group that gets screwed by poor decision-making or saying yes to too many things is your team. They get screwed over when you let the wrong people stay on the team. They get screwed over when you hire the wrong team members and you're unwilling to have the difficult conversation, get them off the team. When you take one-time work, that means they don't get home till eight o'clock at night. When you take one-time work, I'm just using one-time as an example, one-time work and you rearrange the whole schedule for somebody that's gonna work with you one time and they get hurt as well as your loyal customers get hurt who get delayed and postponed. And one time is just one example here. And so what I've concluded over time is that the companies that do best are the companies that put rules in place and say, we don't go to these markets, we don't offer these services, we don't hire these types of employees. If these types of employees are a challenge, we move them off the team. Those, it, almost all of the good stuff that happens in the business all comes from hard conversations and hard decisions, which are exactly what almost all of us, including me, want to avoid, because it sucks. So I'll go back to my story. So for me to take what ended up happening in that business is we went from about 400,000 a year down to about, I think it was 205 or 225, I don't remember my numbers. So to cut that much work, let's call it $175,000 in work, to cut that in a matter of weeks, meant that I had to call some really great customers and say, hey, we won't be coming back. We'll be taking care of the property until you find a new company. Or to call some great commercial clients and say, we're going to finish off the contract, but this will be it. And, and, and it, to let all the team members go except four. Elder was one that I kept, Arturo. I don't know, did I say Andres earlier? It was actually Arturo. I might have said Andres earlier. It was Arturo that was the guy with the Elder. I kept Elder, um, Arturo, and then I can't remember the other two individuals. I had to let everybody else go. Like Those are hard decisions. Those are things that you stress about and you don't want to do. And I will, I'll say, I'll repeat what I said earlier. And, and I, I tell you to ask this of yourself. When you know that you need to let somebody go, when you know that you need to fire a client, when you know that you need to change something and you're stressed about it, you're worried about in the morning, you're worried about when you go to sleep, how often do you procrastinate the decision? I procrastinated those decisions. All of the good stuff that happens in a business comes from making those decisions. They're momentary, painful decisions that suck. They're the worst part of running and building a company, but once they're done, they usually last for about 24 hours of pain. Once they're done, Everything else thereafter is better. And that's, that's what building a business is. It's making those hard decisions, having the hard conversations, but they result in all the positive change. And that's the experience I went through. And I continue, I mean, building companies, yeah. that continues to happen. So um, maybe I diverted a little bit from your question, but it was, it was a series of hard questions, conversations, right. and long-term hard discussions. You've got a, a client, a prospect that calls and says, hey, why can't you just come another half mile? My friend Mary, who loves you, referred you. And oh, by the way, if you come another half mile, I'll get you like 10 of my neighbors. Like yeah. you know all those stories. Yeah. That's hard. Or we only work with clients that pay us by credit card. One of the most important things we ever changed in a business did in 2007. And, you know, it's a million people that are just super nice. People are like, well, I'm retired or, I, you know, whatever the story is, can, I, can you make an exception? Exceptions kill companies. I mean, you do want to work with the client. You want to help the client. You want to go out of your way. You want to do all that. But there's certain things you learn over time are the things that sort of destroy a company. They eat away at a company in the long term. And it's all a series of hard decisions. Yeah.
Yeah, for sure. I, I had to let go a whole route um, going into 2020 because I took it on because it was, you know, get this right. It was so the first customer and that I was already the client that I was servicing in my main service area, his mom was a little bit further away. Yep. So I took on the mom and then the mom and then the other son, the, the brother, yep. Yep. <laughs> the other son is even further away than that. Yep. So when you come down to it, I'm going from, you know, one brother to the other brother, it's like, you know, 15 minutes away and you think, oh, what's the big deal? But when you're talking about lawn maintenance, that's a big deal of unnecessary 30 minute round trip to go out there and it was, there was four, you know, oh, and there's a the whole thing, right? Oh, there's, there's, you know, it's at the bus stop. We can get you, I can get you three more people. All four of us come out. It's only, you know, it's only like, you know, five minutes from my mom's house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're already coming out there, but then, you know, you just, so I went along with it. But then when you do that every single week, you realize how bad this is, especially when the route gets broken especially when it gets broken because of all the weather yeah. or breakdowns or call outs, all the stuff that we all experience. And now all of a sudden you have to go a different day out to those four. Yep. And now you're driving 30 minutes to get out there or to get to the next route. Literally, yep. I would have to drive there multiple times. I had to go from that neighborhood 30 minutes to another neighborhood on the highway and everything. And I'm like, what am I doing? Yep. Because it's not always a, it's not a perfect world. So you, you build this route out, but if that route is like all spread out, what about these people out here? What if you can't finish that route? Now you have to add them to a totally different day where you're in another section over here somewhere. So obviously it's all about route density, right? You you can't get that. You can't let the creep. Right. You, know, you can't let right. that creep. It's dangerous because that's where you end up losing money. So I, and that I, happens in every part of the business. Routing is just one example, but it happens in letting uh, like sacrificing on one more team member you let on the team sacrificing on one more you know whatever that you're like oh okay well we have to we'll let that slip this time it's like you right. can just imagine all scenarios and yeah. one day you wake up it's no wonder that most individuals in the industry hate the industry or burn down the industry or tired some get out of the business no wonder that happens because these businesses slowly degrade over time or maybe they were never maybe they never got to a great place because right. they were never uh they were never built in any specific way. So, uh, rounding back to um, to to labor. Yeah. What What are some things you you'd also had mentioned to me off camera before uh, when I was just kind of rattling off stuff and saying something about you know having to rehire people or always you know hiring people and you're like it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Like what 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 did you mean by that? And what are some tips that you have for that? Like so that you can hire good people, retain good people, so that you don't have to go through this attrition constantly. Yeah. Kanabi Outdoor Power and Terry's Small Engine are family owned and operated and conveniently located in Midlothian, Virginia. They can provide you with the latest and best in outdoor power products to make your outdoor living more enjoyable. Combine this wide array of selections with their friendly and knowledgeable staff and they're convinced Kanabi Outdoor Power and Terry's Small Engine will become your only stop for all of your outdoor power needs. Go to terrysmallenginerepair.com or click the link in the show notes for locations and more details. Hey guys, it's Marty. Let me take a moment and tell you about the Ramp Rack. This is a pickup insert that eliminates the need to pull a trailer just to haul your equipment. It easily installs on any 1,500 to 3,500 pickup long or short bed, extending the usable space of your bed by two feet. 
The Ramp Rack's most popular model for landscapers is the PU200. It has rear window protection and a removable shelf for push mowers and gas cans. You're going to love this. The Ramp and Dovetail have a weight capacity of 2,000 pounds. Made in Maryland, it comes powder-coated and, of course, built to last for years. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Head over to therampwrack.com and, of course, save 10% with the promo code LCR. That's therampwrack.com, and, of course, we'll throw the link in the show notes. LCR not only uses the Ramp Rack, but he gives it his highest endorsement. When it comes to the labor, I, I do want to be clear that I see labor as the single biggest challenge facing the industry, facing each our, our, our service all pilot members' businesses, our academy members' businesses, and facing my individual business. I, there's no doubt in my mind that if the labor problem was different, that my company would be double the size. And so I, I want to be very, very clear that that is a challenge. At the same time, though, I think that the majority of companies are failing in the area of recruiting. It's, it, they just fail at it. I'll give you an example. Um, I could, boy, I could give you, I could talk about this for days. <laughs> so I'm going to probably jump around quite a bit. I've, I've probably said this on the LCM channel, but the game today in the industry is not a game of acquiring clients. It's a game of acquiring team members. That's the game. Like everybody can get clients. Like all what what will happen eventually is a whole lot of these companies in the green industry are going to get flushed out of the market. And by what I mean by that is right now they're existing because acquiring clients is cheap and easy. There's a ton of work, but we are going to have a recession. We are going to have a downturn. Things are going to tighten up. The homeowner will tighten up their wallet. I'm not scared of that at all. In fact, I'm kind of ready for it, frankly, because what it will do is it will flush a lot of the, the low quality competitors out of the market. And what it will also do is it will free up labor. We will have more team members to go recruit. Now there's, there's pros and cons as I described. I, I, again, I don't want to scare anybody. If you're a quality organization, if you take care of your team and you take care of your client, if you've learned how to do marketing, it will be a, it could be a very good time for you, frankly because labor will get freed up. But right now, there is, there's no effort required generally to get clients. There is in those early days where you're learning the business and such, but eventually it gets so much easier. So now the game is team members. Here's the other reason why it's team members, because, and I, I gotta imagine you've had this experience, I know we have this experience, but if you, if let's say you get excited at the beginning of the year and like, hey, I know I can get a bunch of work, but then the next thing you think is, ah, but can I get enough team members? And so you sort of drag your feet. You're slower about your marketing activities. You're slower about your marketing spend. You're just less aggressive because the confidence is not there that you could get enough people to do the work. And that happens every single year. And then maybe around June or July, you're like, wait a second. I think I could get a guy or two to add some more work. But then it's like, well, crap, winter's going to be coming. Let's do that next year. And every year, it's a repeat of that same cycle. And every year, the businesses get just a little bit bigger, but not much bigger. That's the problem that everybody's facing. And so the, there's a lack of confidence that you can even get the team, so therefore you don't even get the work. You don't go fight for the work. Right. And this goes back to my argument that the real game right now in the green industry is a game of acquiring labor. And so if you, if you were to believe that, if you were to buy into that, then why is it that about 2% of all of the time you spend per week 
or 5% or even 10% of your time and your team's time is spent on getting team members. We all do it. I mean, I'm guilty. We're all do it. If that is the number one problem that's holding back all future success in your company, why do you not go solve that problem? Why don't you, not that it'll be solved perfectly, but why don't you and I and everyone else spend the majority of our time on that problem if that one problem was the single biggest difference maker? And so that's, that's a time equation. Now I'd ask the same thing about money. Why do we spend so little money? Like, what do we really spend money on when it comes to acquiring clients? How much money are we spending in terms of having somebody that's out there recruiting or on job ads on Indeed and LinkedIn and Craigslist on door hangers at apartment complex? Like, how much money are we really spending? Most companies are spending almost nothing. So they say it's the biggest problem. They say that if we solve this problem, it would we could blow up the whole organization. We'd be big. Everything would be grand. We'd be making a lot more money, but we spend no time and money to solve it. That's the state of the industry right now. And also, I'll come right back to that thought. I will also tell you that this problem is in every industry. The other thing I hear all the time is, oh, it's a green industry problem. No, it's a, I was, you know, I've been spending a bunch of time with plumbers and HVAC companies. And, you know, like recently was at an event and they were talking about how a master plumber right now, the average age in the industry is 58 years old. That is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and those guys are making six figures. That is another problem. And like if you're if the average age of your industry is 58, what does the future of that business look like? That is tough. But we all sit around and say, oh, well, it's better over there and better over there. Like people probably look at Service Alpine and say it's better. Like I've got we've got three, four recruiters. We got a full-time recruiter. Um, we got three or four contract recruiters. We got a full-time recruiter. We use all these companies to recruit people here. Like they're anybody in my team could leave tomorrow and have a job like that anywhere. They don't have to be here. They could have a job tomorrow. That's the market in this. We are all in every industry struggling. I think companies forget that. So I know I'm talking a lot, but no, to kind of round this out, and please ask me more questions, and I, we can talk about some how stuff, but to round this out, there is no future solution coming to labor. Does not exist, is not gonna exist. If you're waiting on Washington, never gonna happen. Don't even, I mean, be involved, but just don't believe it's gonna happen. And, and, and the reason I say that is, if there's not really a solution coming and the only potential solution would be a massive, massive, massive economic downturn, which none of us really want, that big one. We take a little one to kind of, right. but not a big one. Um, my point is, if that's the only thing that's going to solve this labor problem because parents aren't encouraging their kids to go in these jobs, families that, um, in, that migrated and in, came into the United States and now are establishing themselves, they're all, hey, they want their kids to go to college. They want their kids to live a better and better life than they live. They're not encouraging their kids to do a lot of the work of our industry, understandably. And so that's not about to get solved. We're not going to solve it with a lot of new immigration in the United States. Not going to happen. So really what the game is, is aggressive recruiting, being the best employer in the market, charging the right prices so that you can pay a very fair wage, eventually offering healthcare, maybe offering 401k, and it's creating a real company that somebody actually wants to work at. And so the real game of recruiting is being the absolute best employer in a market. And instead of a potential team member going to Bob's lawn care company, they come to your lawn care company, to your pest control company, to your irrigation company, that's the game. And, in, and until companies uh, uh, buy into that and play that game, nothing's going to change. It's only going to get worse and more companies will just burn out. More companies will leave the market. But that's the game. So you have to say, if that's the game, how do I make myself the most attractive employer? And how do I get super aggressive? And what does aggressive look like? What are the things I need to go do? And I think, I know I spent a lot of time on that, but most of business is mindset. Most of business is just, like, I'm not being 
prideful or being arrogant or being hard on anybody because everything I'm about to say is exactly who I used to be. The game of business is mindset. We simply don't understand how it really works, how things really work. This is a perfect example. When I got into business, I didn't understand how labor worked. When I got into this business, I didn't understand who a good team member was. When I got in this business, I didn't understand how to recruit them. I didn't understand how to be the best employer. I didn't understand that the real game of labor is not about hoping some new individual is going to move to my market or come from another country or, or suddenly come out of college and want to work my business. The real game of labor is being the number one employer, just like it's being the number one company in a market that clients want to work with. That's the real game. I didn't get any of that. But now that I get it, it's like, oh, wait a second. This business thing, while hard, it's not nearly as hard as I thought it was. Like, and, and also everything I've learned, I can go duplicate this in any other industry because this is how it works everywhere. And it's why I also say that if you don't like the way it is in this industry and you think going to a different industry will solve your problems, no, you'll take all those problems and all that baggage to the next thing, it'll be exactly the same experience. And so again, hope it wasn't too much, but the no. game of business is mindset and understanding how things really work and what, and how to really play the game and having the confidence that you could be the person that could play that game if you want to. So do you have any tips for for how to put some of those things into action to, to like different tools or best practices you had to help recruit and to, and to keep, you know, getting good employees. Sure. One of my, the saying I hear myself saying all the time is there's no ma magic bullet. There is no one thing. It's like, if you just do this thing, it's going to be solved or there's just no one tool that if you get this tool, it's going to be solved. It's, it's what I said earlier, it's showing up every day. It's incremental improvement. It's, lots of action. I think most companies are not overly action oriented. It's about being action oriented. So I could rattle off a bunch of stuff that work, mm -hmm. that works and that we okay. do. And I do it at Service Auto Pilot. We do it at City Turf. We, you know, it just works. Academy members do this stuff. It works. Yeah. I mean, it could be stuff that maybe something that yeah. you know, someone hasn't thought of. So, yeah, that's why so I was are you doing anything around uh, bonus? Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to bring, I got to tell us another story. So think about, um, the idea of compensating a team member to help you find another team member. So you're spending money. Or think about the concept of where you're paying a sign-on sign bonus to come work at your company. So you can start to run these numbers and you could say, oh man, that could cost me a thousand bucks to get a new team member by the time I pay a referral to my team member who recruited them by the time I pay a sign-up bonus or maybe a retention bonus to a team member. And so, so let's just imagine that that were $1,000 and you had three individuals on a crew. So you're looking at $3,000 expense. And then you're like, wait a second, what if I need 20 of those people at 60,000 bucks? Yeah, no, well, my, it'd actually be 20,000 in my $1,000 person analogy. And like, wow, 20 grand, that's a ton of money. And I'd agree, it is a lot of money. However, anytime you're not recruiting, you're forfeiting all the profit you could have earned. So if, hypothetically, if you had a crew that did $150,000 a year, and that crew generated, after covering overhead and everything else, it generated 15%. You're talking about, what is that, 30, 20-something thousand a year in profit. I'd have to add that up. That's a So it meaning if 15% is the real margin that could be extracted out of your company or reinvested, that's 20-something that's thousand in profit that could have gone into your pocket, could have gone to pay down debt, could have been reinvested in the 2021 marketing campaign. But what we do as owners and as managers, we look at the, the, the cost and we say, well, wait a second, $3,000, I need 20 people. And we start running all, I got my trucks, I got to spend marketing. I can't spend a thousand bucks a person to acquire an employee. And that's sort of where we stop. We just say, I can't afford the cost. We see it all the time with buying service autopilot. And somebody says, ah, oh, it's a hundred bucks a month. I can't afford that. I could just use a free tool. 
Okay, but what we fail to do is think about all the benefits. And in this example, the benefit is that you would have made 20 something thousand dollars a year in profit. So because you didn't want to spend 3,000, you traded away, we'll call it $25,000. I will write you a $3,000 check every minute of every day for the rest of my life if you'll return to me 20 something thousand dollars. But we don't think that way. All of us get, I've done it many times. I try not, I'm sure I still do it to this day. I try not to think about that way. The whole game is return on investment. If I spend a dollar, what will a dollar bring home? And I got to tell that story because that's, that's the bottleneck for most of us when it comes to recruiting laborers, we won't spend the marketing money, we won't spend the bonuses, we won't spend the time, we won't spend whatever it is because we think about the cost, we don't think about the outcome. All right, so if you're willing to get over the cost, you could be paying a recruiting bonus, an aggressive recruiting bonus. You could pay, yeah, you could pay your guy 50 bucks, but wouldn't it be way more aggressive to go get somebody at 500? Yes, man, commissions work. And so, but you know, most of us would never think to pay 500. Um, when you, you, you could pay a bonus to a team member, uh, a pros, prospective team member to join the team, a sign up bonus. And if you stay six months, another bonus. You could, uh, you could give all of your team members in your company business cards that they can be passing out. And every time they pass them out and somebody joins your team, they get a bonus. You could be putting door hangers uh, postcards, whatever, on doors where you know that a lot of prospective team members tend to live. Apartment complexes come to mind. Check cashing places, Spanish-speaking churches, youth group churches. Um, you can just go down the list. Like it, The question really is less of a, me rattling off a list of where you could do this. All you've got to do is say, the kind of individuals that work at my company, where do they generally live? do business, transact, go to church, shop, all those things, we'll go to them. Like if you just wait for all your clients to come to you and you don't go out, put out door hangers, you don't run pay-per-click ads, good luck. It's going to be a slow growing business. Same is true in the team member. So use your marketing skills to say, where do my team members live? Where do they shop? Let's go get them. So one, th that tells you where to go. And then you can use, as I said, door hangers. You can run Facebook ads. You can do um, postcards, you can give out business cards, you can go to McDonald's and say, hey, do you know anybody that's looking for a job? And you can, you just gotta be aggressive. None of that stuff, as I said, is a magic bullet where tomorrow you're gonna have 20 people. Right. But over time, the motion of doing that over and over again, you're gonna have, you're gonna have a lot of people. And I can keep her out of the office, that kind of a list. Talk to your vendors. Um, I just so just, much. Just really getting after it. Yeah. Just going, it's being, instead of just saying, well, I don't know, I don't have people, yep. you know? And, yeah. yeah, when I, I'm telling you, if tomorrow nobody came to your office, odds are you wouldn't just shut down the business. You'd go fight it out. You would do whatever you have to do to make sure that you're eating and feeding your family. It's that kind of aggressiveness that you've got to tap into. But most of us, while frustrated, are not completely dis, uh, uncomfortable. We're not completely scared of the future. And so we take a very different set of actions than we would if tomorrow everything was threatened. And I would argue that when everything's threatened, you figure it out. And I would further argue that you want to sort of put yourself in the position to have to figure it out. And there's really a lot of tools out there. You could be mining LinkedIn. You could be mining Indeed. You could be doing Craigslist. Now, for certain types of, like, guy mowing the lawn, probably not going to be on LinkedIn, but maybe a spray tech, maybe a pest guy, maybe certain irrigators. You know, and so you've got different types of team members that are on different media and you've got to figure out where they're at and you've got to go get them. A hundred percent. I agree. Um, I, I've had kind of similar, similar 
challenges myself, you know, and like back to some previous things you were saying earlier in the video, uh, you know, 20, uh, 2019, the spring was just like super busy and, and growing pains. I couldn't find like a good mix of staff, but I didn't want to stop the growth. Like you were saying how people like, you know, we, we don't get aggressive with the marketing, getting clients because we don't yep. have the confidence. Right. Yep. I didn't. I didn't have the confidence necessarily because I didn't have the people, but I didn't want to stop my business growth because I already went all in. I already started the wheels turning to another level and I didn't want to, it would be harder for me to pull it, dial it back and ruin all that momentum than to just grind it out and try and figure it out. So the whole spring was crazy. I was working like sun up to sundown with a couple of people I could find, high school kids, all this stuff. People have heard the story, if you, you know, watch, follow along or whatever. But, it, you know, I just grinded it out and just got through it. And then we got into the summer and things started to smooth out a little bit because it's just not, not as much, not the same type of work and had a little bit better staffing ironed out there, kind of whittled down, you know, to, you know, a couple of good people uh, and then, you know, that transitioned again into the fall and now here we are going into the winter first winter keeping a couple of part-timers so i don't have to kind of restart all over again you know i changed some things in my business so that i would have some more work made some purchases that i needed switched some things around so on and so on so that i could keep the ball rolling you know keep the momentum moving forward and then but i'm also not taking my eye off of it either it's all about for me being aggressive looking so i'm not necessarily aggressively hiring I'm aggressively looking, you could say recruiting, but like it's like, I'm just constantly, like I'm still, I'm always hiring. I'm always putting job applications out there. I'm always like, if someone says, hey, are you looking, you know, you know, well, let's talk about it. I'm not shutting that door because you never know when someone could leave. You never know when your business just all of a sudden needs that extra help. And you always, my thing from retail management is I was always told you can always make room for good people. Mm-hmm. You can always find, because there's always like some weak link that you could maybe reduce their hours or have tough conversations, say, hey, I don't think this is right for you. And then boom, now you have a spot for someone that, that seems like they're gonna be a better fit. So there's always room, or you can always find room for good people. So that's the mentality that I'm trying to get back into yep. from those days so that I can not have, have myself in a situation where I don't have the right help and I'm not stopping my business growth because yep. I have goals and I need to get to those, achieve those goals, a couple of crews, self-sustained, you know, but I need to do whatever I need to do to get to that point, whether it's me working extra, you know, but the, but that can't be the solution, right? Because like you said, your family gets hurt, you know, everyone else gets screwed in, in, the, in the long run. So that can't be your answer, but you have to put, you have to grind it out you know, to get to the next level, you know, when when push comes to shove, you still got to get it done. You still got to grow your business. still got to get the job done to invoice, you know, to have billable work and get those invoices out, but be looking, working aggressively for solutions to keep moving forward. So I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of that conversation as I did in the moment as well as looking back on it and um, as recording this episode as well, just getting some more, just kind of re- re- refreshing my memory on it. And there's just so much great content and good conversation that we had. And, you know, I shared a lot of things on there too about, you know, my personal struggles and things that I had been dealing with at the time and, and still deal with. It's one of those things it's, it's up and down. It's, it's never a one-stop shop. I mean, the goal is to not have to have turnover, to not have to constantly find, you know, good help and so on. But as you grow, that's going to be a constant thing that you have to focus on. Uh, but so, I mean, I'm, I'm no, I'm, you know, I don't have it solved or anything. I'm, I'm still from, you know, year to year, season to season, still trying to 
uh, have the best team, build the best team, keep the best team and people come and go and you know, it, it happens, you know, they move on to bigger and better things or they, it just wasn't a good fit for them or I didn't think they were a good fit for us or, you know, all different scenarios. So that's just part of being in business, part of being in this business, part of being a leader. Uh, but hopefully, you know, you, like I said, you guys got some good value out of this conversation and I wish you guys all the best in the rest of this season. The biggest thing is it's things are always changing. So even if it's really tough right now, just keep focusing. Maybe some of the things that we talked about, you can focus on that or find some new things that you can try and focus on to, to keep moving forward. Even if it's only a little bit, uh, any kind of progress is better than no progress. And it will help you feel a little bit better uh, until we can kind of get through some of these tougher times, challenging times that we're all dealing with right now uh, in this industry so that you can keep, you know, looking on the horizon there and focus on your goals and, and, and the better times will come, uh, and you can celebrate and feel a little more relaxed and refreshed when that time comes. So I wish you guys all the best and I will see you on the next one. This is Lawn Care Rookie signing off. Hey guys, before you head out, if you could do me a quick favor and go on the podcasting app that you're listening to this episode on and click follow or subscribe, it would mean a lot. Thanks. Mr. Producer here, and if you're enjoying Naylor's podcast, I recommend you head on over to his YouTube channel at LCR and see what else he's doing for the community and become a part of the LCR Media Network. Just click join next to the subscribe button and you'll have instant access to exclusive training videos, a private Facebook group to network with other members, and live streams with Naylor. You'll get access to every YouTube video before anybody else does, and you can even schedule Zoom one-on-one video calls with the Lawn Care Rookie and talk about anything you may need help with in your business, like best types of equipment, going part-time to full-time, how to get the best route density, finding your ideal clients, finding employees, or just anything else you need help with. Again, all of this exclusive access is for LCR Media Network members only. Just click join next to the subscribe button on the LCR YouTube channel and be a rookie for life. This has been an LCR Media and Mr. Producer production.